right. Well, I am very excited uh, to be joined by some awesome people and talk more about Mac Miller. Um, first of all, uh, an amazing artist, uh, a, a man who's been on this show before, and a man who worked with Mac Miller many times, Harlem's own Smoke Dizzes in the building. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me, Appreciate bro. you being here, bro. Um, also, of course, just two guys who have done nothing but make amazing, caring um, content about the culture. They do the It's The Real podcast and so much more. Jeff and Eric Rosenthal are here. Uh, appreciate you guys being here as well. Thanks for us. And, of course, uh, the man who has written Tons of great things uh, for New York Magazine and Vulture. He's a music critic there and just wrote uh, a piece on Mac Miller that everyone's been talking about because it was so well done. Craig Jenkins here. Thank you for being here, man. Um, I'll start with you, Smokey. Um, that video that we just watched was, it wasn't the first time I met Mac, but it was definitely in the early days um, of me getting to meet him. Do you remember how Mac Miller popped up on your radar? Um, it's funny because you know I'm always up on this shit before a lot of other people. But um, Arthur, Arthur Pitt had hit me, and he was like, um, Arthur was from Rostrum Records. He was from Rostrum yeah, Records. Yeah, did promo and yeah. a whole lot more for them, yeah. And he was running around with Mac at the time, and he's like, yo, Mac wants to work with you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah cool. I fuck with Mac, you know? It's like, yeah, it's, I think it was probably his first time in New York. And um, he came over to Johnny Shipe's crib, and we actually recorded the record in Shipe's crib, and he engineered it. <laughs> and it was like the funniest session that you could possibly have because, you know, Mac was so giddy. And it was just like... Was he already... How was he at that point as like... For so, like engineering the session, because he ended up when it no Shipes engineered. Oh, Shipes engineered the session. <laughs> That's, That's a why scary I said thought. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but you got through it. But we got through it, and the song was actually good, so it worked out. But um, yeah, Mac was just happy to be here, and I think what made me like him more was that he liked Big L, and we was like talking about Big L verses. Yeah, I mean, he actually had Street Struck tattooed yeah. on his arm. Yeah, he was a student of the game, like, and a real chameleon when it came to that, too. Like, Yeah, that almost blew my mind. Like, having Street Struck tattooed, of all the songs, like, Street Struck was like a promo-only, like, super early Big L record. It just, it typifies who Mac was. Um, all right, uh, Jeff, Eric, first time you remember hearing about and uh, interacting with Mac Miller. Well, as you know, Peter, uh, back in... 2009, 2010, uh, white people in this business weren't supposed to like other white people in this yes. business. Yes. <laughs> you didn't like us before you yes. met us. Uh, we returned the favor for people like Asher Roth and other people, but... Um, we, I did it to Mac Miller. No, and yeah. so yeah. you guys did too. Okay. There was this idea that there was like this this teenage kid from Pittsburgh who loved rap as much as us, and we could not have that. <laughs> no, I couldn't. There's only room for a few <laughs> right, white people right. to like. And rap. by the way, there's already two of us. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. <laughs> and uh, MTV at the time had asked us to do these absurdist interviews. We went to Governor's Ball. Right. And we sat down with this kid who was not very tattooed, had no facial hair really, uh, a young Mac Miller. And we fell in love with him right then and Immediately. there. Immediately. Um, we had the same sense of humor. Uh, we did have the same love for, for rap music and rap culture. And, uh, and, and there was something special that developed over time. Um, there was something there that day. But, but as we hung out in real life, and as we had a million chances to do sketches or interviews or just be at each other's houses or talk on FaceTime or on the phone, um, that we got to uh, develop into real, real life friends. And um, that's much more valuable than any skin color or any idea of how you're supposed to act or whatever. This is somebody who 
we just got each other. Um, and and I, I know we're talking about the beginning. I did want to mention this because I don't know if it'll get lost or anything. Um, we did get a chance to, to talk to him um, two days before he died, but also two weeks before he died. And this was so um, valuable to us to, and meaningful to be able to tell him how much we loved him. Um, and he returned the favor to us and, right. and, and how valuable we were to his life. Why did that, why did that conversation come up? Because we felt like it. Just randomly? Yeah. Well, like, yeah. You listened yeah. to the album? Well, he, we reached out, he reached out to us because he had seen something on our Instagram story. And then, um, I mean... And, and I just, I, I did say, I've been listening to your album a lot and I think it's beautiful and I think it's the best work you've ever done. And it, it chronicles so much of who he is as a human being. Yeah. Um, that, that people who listen to his music know and people who, who just know him as a person know. And, and I just... I felt like telling him that I loved him. Well, that's 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 an awesome, rare experience when someone got to express to someone that. Um, I'm sure a lot of people wish they'd had that happen. Like it's it's whenever someone passes, this is what you go through. But we will get to swimming and we'll talk all about the music stuff. But Craig, as a as a music fan, as a hip hop nerd who loves this culture, what first times you remember hearing about Mac Miller? Um, well, you know, I, I listen to the older stuff and. I've been honest with him about it. You know, I wasn't too crazy about it. But um, when I got an opportunity to start writing for Pitchfork and he came out with the Watching Movies album, I was like, you know, this guy has a one, you know, point oh review on the last record. I want to really start, you know, building this up if he's going to be good and like start talking about it. So I think that as I started to take an interest in his music and as I started to write about it, he started to take an interest in my writing. And so when um, I met him when Good AM came out and, you know, he was just setting up the crib and stuff. And like, as long as he lived in New York City, we would- Oh, this is when he moved back for yeah. Good AM, right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, he would just have me over to the studio or whatever, or, you know, come to a random event. And it was just always just love, always fun. Um, anytime, you know, there was something coming out or, you know, if I just had a random question, I would, you know, check in on him and stuff. So like, blown, I don't even know, like, but yeah. Um, so let's talk about like the, the early music. Um, you know, because yeah, I had a similar experience early on. Hated on him for really no reason. Of course. At that point, I was Team Asher Roth. So mm. I'd already and I we hated on Asher. That, we all had that that moment. And I and I had and I had and I had already hated on Asher when Asher came out. Now I made friends with Asher. Gotta hate on Mac when Mac comes out. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, same energy. Yeah. And, and, and then I saw. I was like, wait. I was like, but he rapped on Lord Finesse beat. Ooh, that's tough to hate on, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I really was like, and I cannot remember who reached out first. Um, and was like, this guy's pretty awesome. And it's so, it's so funny, all I remember is that I know I hated on him, but from the beginning, I only have positive memory. It's, it, go, it, was, it was squashed so early, um, and I grew to love him so quickly. Um, as, and, and to your point, as a person before the music, because I thought, like the, I thought the, the early freestyles and stuff were really cool, and I could hear that he was talented, but like, nah, I thought he was cool for kids, but I liked him. Mm -hmm. Right, it was like I like the him personality personally. was always there. Yeah. Right, so we—if you were an old head, you liked the personality, and you knew. I went to one of his shows, one of his uh, first shows in New York that I went to. I remember being overwhelmed. Me and my brother went, and I remember like getting bumped into by like all these sixteen-year-old girls who literally never been to a concert before. So they were just like running you over because like they didn't even know how to walk around a venue. That was like how new these fans were to hip hop, and I remember being like, "Wow, this guy has a real." 
real fan base. There were soccer chants one time when I went to the show before it came out. It's just an energy that you don't see at a rap show. Like, what do you like, mean soccer chants? I mean, like, the really kids like, were like dead, dead, like getting it's a chance one time, like waiting for him. It was just like they didn't know what to do with themselves. Now, do you think in, on any level were we wrong about him musically early? Because I feel like when you go back and listen to Blue Slide Park, um, you actually hear some stuff that like there's a lot of potential very clearly. There's definitely structural stuff in there that's like, I don't know, maybe I was a cynic. Um, but he def- there was definitely potential there, and he definitely built on it, for sure. Well, so we went to um, a vigil on Friday night, the night that he had passed away, and it was in New York City, just organized by like some like diehard fans of his. And the way that they spoke about Blue Slide Park, like that's the era that connected with so many of these kids. Like, you know, even though it may not have connected with me, like uh, someone who is a little bit older, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's what these kids were really like glomming onto. Yeah, and I think too, it doesn't matter that like now we see swimming and say like, oh, well that's the complete person that he grew into. I think he was always true, and I think he always clearly had talent, but I think he always understood who he was in that time. And so if it's more commercial, if it's more poppy, I think you see it in the videos, and I think he and, and Rex Arrow collaborated on a number of amazing things, but they all grew together, right? And there should be a process where it's like, you get better every time, you know? You can't always say that it was perfect at the beginning and then... Of course, well, and, he, and he jumped on the scene at like 16 years old. Yeah. yeah. So like he needed the room to grow. Smokey, when did you start like taking him, because I know he changed in your eyes too. A lot. When, when did you start taking him like seriously as an artist? Um. I'm not gonna lie, I always took him serious. Like uh, like I said, from the first conversation we had from Big L to just see him like be around other rappers that might've been, you know, might've had a different skill set, and he'll chameleon somehow and spin it into his own. So I watched him grow. But I think um, I like kids a lot. I think once kids came out for me, it was like, okay, He's on, and then we was touring together. So I was actually seeing it happen. And then when he started going out by himself and doing all the other crazy shit, I'm like, okay, he's here. So yeah, I think from kids and then blue, yeah, yeah, I, I say kids. When did you start taking That's you seriously? <laughs> uh, no, but uh, what do you think was the moment that Mac Miller was like kind of realized in terms of, because you could say early on, Donald Trump was a big record, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that was a moment. Um, but I, what do you think in terms of him being like coming into his own, that moment was? I think that he realized who he was when he made Macadelic, right? And uh, so he had Jeff and myself come and visit him. Uh, this is before he obviously lived in New York. He was in New York for a few days and he had us come to this um, this sort of like uh, like glorified apartment that they were doing some filming for for an upcoming tour. And he played us that project and we were like, oh, this is different. This is, you like the Beatles and you have different influences and you're starting to understand that you can go one way and be super poppy, or you can go another way and really dive into who you are as a person or an artist. And we saw him make that choice. And when we told him, we're like, oh, we sense a lot of like, you know, other influences and specifically the Beatles. His eyes just lit up and he was like, oh, there's an understanding from people who are older of what I'm trying, trying to into. do. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what I think is awesome about that? 
Um, one thing that I can find irritating, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this, <laughs> with, with, with white rappers in particular, is when they come in the game, it's one thing for a black artist, even though it still annoys me, it's one thing for a black artist to be like, I don't even listen to hip hop, right? <laughs> That's annoying in its own way. But when white artists don't play um, pay proper homage to hip hop, it's very irritating. So when they then try to, and seems very um, like they're just in it for the money. And when they start branching out and being influenced by non-black music, I'm always like, so are you even a hip hop head? Mm. Mac was so proven, to your point, Dizza, as a hip hop head, that when he started going outside, it was so non-offensive to me. It, it did, it felt like my upbringing, where yes, me and my brother loved hip hop, but the influence in our home wasn't hip hop. Right. It seemed so organic when Mac did it that he really was a true hip hop head who grew up in a home where there was other music being played. And I thought that was, that's a testament to how much he loved the culture. That, that's a testament to a kid who, you know, gets a big L tattoo and rhymes on Lord Finesse for his foray into hip hop. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also got into a lawsuit from Lord Finesse. Yes. So, you know, that's like, that's real hip hop. <laughs> yeah. right and if you ever want to go back, uh, uh, if you ever want to go back and nerd out, in my first one, Epstein with him, and the first one, and my one Epstein with Lord Finesse, I covered it in both in detail, because from a hip hop standpoint, I found that to be so interesting. Well, like, there is nothing was gonna... that is more like catered to you <laughs> than that conversation, yeah. right? Well, yeah, it was like, it was so awesome because all I want is the kids to pay homage and then they did and then get sued. And I'm like, oh, I, but I also understood where Lord Finesse is coming from. It was like such a, a, a thing. Yeah. Um, Craig, for you, when do you think he realized, Mac Miller was uh, realized as a true star in hip hop? I feel like the moment where hip hop heads had to get on board or else they were fronting was an SDS record with uh, Fine Lotus. That was just, Blaze like you couldn't deny it. I, I that, that's a great point. I that that I remember we played that in the morning a few times, and that was the first time when like during the morning show like yo we got to play this new Mac Miller, <laughs> um, and that album in general you know that was when he had moved into his. Um, big house in Studio City and was like living the rap life and I was out there for some reason or another and he told me to come through and I went through and you know listen Mac was 26 I'm 39 so at that time I don't know he's 21 whatever he is I'm old as fuck relative <laughs> and I go through and all of his boys are there and girls are in the pool swimming. Like, I came back and told the world, I'm like, guys, Mac Miller is living the fucking rap life. He did it, he is doing it. And um, I teased him about this in retrospect. He also had the classic rap move over, he's like, we hung out for a while, and then he's like, all right, I gotta play you this album. And so we go into his pool house, which he had turned into a studio, and he's like, yo, I gotta play you this album. The final version that came out, I believe, was only like 16 songs or something. Man, that man played me 25 songs. Yep, right. With features from everybody. With features right. from everybody. But by the way, that's who Mac Miller is. It's not the girls out in the pool. Yes. Not the lack He wasn't out there. He was sitting inside. Right. Chain smoking cigarettes and playing you his music endlessly. Right. He was living the life. Yeah. That was exactly. <laughs> which is so funny because like he was able to pull off the rap life for his friends. They had a TV show. Yeah. They had the girls. But ultimately. It was him on a beanbag chair. It was, yeah. yeah. Sitting there just being like, yo, listen to this. And when rap, as you guys know, I'm sure you've all experienced this. Smokey, I, I can't include them in this because you're a rapper who's done it to other people. When they, when 
people play you 25 songs straight, and you're like, all right, I think after we get through two <laughs> verses, we can skip to the next one. Right. But he was How so dare pre- you. I we know. love all of his catalog. <laughs> yeah, Craig, he was like just a super hip hop head. Did you find that in your conversations with him too? Uh, yeah, there was. I mean, there's stuff that, to, to your point about him playing 25 records and maybe 16 making it out. Anytime he released something, there was two more things that were stashed away. And so, like, to the point about him being a hip hop head, there was this one time where he was really excited because he got this Memphis Bleak verse, and I'm like. That is so him. <laughs> that is such a Mac Miller. He was just like, he was just like every time I would see him, he's like, yo, like, and play it again. I'm like, what are you gonna do with it? And he's like, just he would be excited about rappers that you know people didn't necessarily think a lot about. And like to that point, like he cared about more the you know he was tra- tracking down all uh, heat makers. He was tracking down just like people that like because he wanted a Dipset vibe. He was like, I need to tap into that. <laughs> yo, he recorded a full project with Pharrell and never put it out. He chose to not put it out. Right. <laughs> Pink slime, like yeah. that, like he understood that he's like, yo, I could really do this, but you know what? I want to go in a different direction, and I want to go into like, I I want to dive deeper in the other way, and he did. Smokey, do you have any memories from those early tour days with Mac? Um, shit. I mean, it's I, I, it's cliche to say that you guys were very high the entire time. Yeah, Smoking I mean, that's why, weed. you know, I gotta... <laughs> You're above those jokes. I, I, I would make a joke about Smoke Dizza smoking weed on tour. Yeah, I mean, we smoked a lot of pot, and we just did a lot of hip-hop nerd shit, like, finished raps and shit like that. Like, Sitting beanbag chairs. What do you mean? Just, like, for instance, I would start Ebonics, and he would pick up where I ended type of thing. Um, the Big L song. The Big yeah. L, of course. Because yeah. that, that was our shit. Like, every time I seen him, like... He was I probably called... legit jealous that you were from Harlem. <laughs> no, I think that was what made him fuck with me. Right. It was like, oh, yeah, he's official. He's from like, Harlem. You're from, for real. Like, you're really yeah, from... Like, you're really from Harlem. But, um... Yeah, I mean, we smoked a lot of pie and we just talked a lot of shit. Like, <laughs> that was just my guy. Um, now, early on, Craig, he was not received um, well. Did you ever have conversations with him, any of you guys? Because I don't think I did, about him being like affected by the way people received him early on. I felt like, well, by the time I actually started to get to know him, that was kind of old hat. But we did, we did talk about it, um, you know, last month, and he thought it was hilarious at the time. I think that you know. You mean it, now he thought it was hilarious? Yeah. Um, right. In retrospect, that you know, when you look at the interviews and stuff, it didn't seem like it so much. I feel like it was really an impetus for him to get among other things, into the craft, like, really deeply serious about, like, never being counted out again. And so if there is, you know, an upshot of all of that, then it's that the next, all the next records are just so much crazier. You know what was magic about him? Is that if you care about something, you can go about it two different ways. You can really show that you care. Like, you get a 1.0 on Pitchfork, and you can, like, really, like, you know, scream on the writer. You can go tweet about it. You can... He didn't. He always had the same outlook on who he was and his sense of humor was always A plus and he worked on his craft to make sure that his next projects wouldn't be 1.0s on pitch on pitchfork but he always had a good sort of well that, that's what I was gonna say he vibe. a lot of artists who are similar you know I, I was texting with Wale yesterday and he talked about how they sort of 
bonded at times about not being critically received. Um, and I told, and I said this to Wale, I was like, it's so interesting because you guys have a lot of things in common, but also approach-wise, totally different. We all know how Wale feels about that. He makes that very clear. That's his way of expressing it. If you either love or hate Wale, that's, it's part of who his character is. With Mac, I gotta tell you, I didn't necessarily ever feel it. And the next thing I had written down that I wanted to ask you guys about was his transition sort of into celebrity. But I gotta tell you, I have no recollection of him ever changing in any way. He never changed, never changed. Even at the height of his stardom, it was always the same. Anytime I needed anything, it was always quick. I never had to deal with the extra shit. It was just always like, boom. Like I remember one Thanksgiving, I was doing Rock the Bells, and I happened to be in LA. And you know, it's Thanksgiving, you're away from home, it's like, what's going on? So I'm walking down Fairfax, and he's shooting a video <laughs> with, with, um, with Chuck English, mm. randomly. And he's like, yo, what the, what, what the fuck are you doing out here? And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing out He's like, yo, we shooting a video, and they had on like matching jumpsuits and shit. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yo, come on, just, just, Come with me and then come back to the crib. I mean, we got food over there, just come back. And it ended up being a bunch of us. Me, Mac, Yams, Dash, Absol, Q, um, his homie Q. And um, we was in there recording and eating Thanksgiving dinner in the studio. So that was the type of human he was, even at, even at the height of his shit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he never. He well, never with that, when you get into the human that he was, and I think I, the fact that I can't think of a time of him seeming different from when he was a kid, like the video I showed earlier, he's a kid there. You can tell. In my brain, personality-wise, I'd always picture the same person. He's always the exact same person, and it's funny. Both two people. Um, I hit Bronson the other day, and he said, you know. He said he reached out to me when Big Body was in jail a couple years ago and offered to bail him out. I also found out that he bailed out Wretch. Like, he, re um, he reached out to Sean Price's family. Like, it's not just cliche, we're not just saying it because he's gone. This was a kid that for his age, for any age, just went above and beyond. Like, makes me really look at myself and be like, is that the kind of human being I am? I mean, to, it's, it's just very, very unique, not just in hip hop, not just in music, in life, to find someone who's sort of that aware. Yeah, he's somebody too who, um, he never gave up on friends. Like, talk about Q, Quentin, talk about Jimmy, talk about Ian, Tree J. Clockwork, Tree J. Tree J. Clockwork, yep. Like, those were always around him, and then he kept adding on. Like. All the, all the guys and girls that would be at the studio. And by the way, these are not like just your Rick Rosses and your Futures and your whoever's. These were like, you know, let, let's call them like just career artists or, or young kids. He kept bringing people to the studio, kept creating and built out this family that was much bigger than, than any artist that I can think of. And those are real relationships. Those aren't just like, yo, come through and like let's play music for each other. This was like, let's actually work. Let's actually like grab meals. Let's like see each other and hang out and be real friends. And that's, that's. And I think that's like what the Instagram and like Twitter reaction, like every single rapper that you see has a picture with Mac Miller. It's, it's unbelievable. And we'll get to that, because I, I want to get to his lasting impression on musicians in general and the culture, because it's, 
it's, it's incredible. Um, let's move on musically though to the Divine Feminine, um, where I think he ends up making what could end up being his, maybe his most lasting record in some ways. Um, I'm, I'm obsessed with the song. I just mean, when I say record, I mean song. Mm -hmm. I just think the song Dang is, an, is a forever record, record. right? That with is Anderson a- Pack. Yeah, and yeah. I and I and we had Anderson Pack on the show a few months ago, and I told him I was like, my favorite record of yours is not your record. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, that record is just a beautiful. I mean, you could argue that is as good a soul R and B moment as we've had in music in many years. And for the white boy from Pittsburgh who came out making Donald Trump to get to where he got for Divine Feminine, Craig, it, it's a, it's an incredible transition. It was nuts. I got to I got to watch some of that stuff come together in the studio, and it was really like just like instinctively him like taking the you know the lead in his career in a way that I don't think the people necessarily always know about like you know when you look at the producer credits you don't necessarily see what people are doing you don't necessarily see that he's getting beats from people and he's stitching things together and you know he's having people work out horn arrangements and he's like you know just constantly siphoning through beats and stuff like that was when it turned out that he wanted it to be what the record that he wanted it to be a real labor of love and a labor of just like creativity and he was worried if he didn't know if people were gonna take to the singing and it like worked and that was just amazing that the reception is the way it is did he feel like the sales were not great for divine feminine um and interestingly enough when you go back and look the music industry changed over the course of max careers and then his career and the numbers that he got for the first album versus for Divine Feminine are way different, but they were very different for everyone. Did he still view Divine Feminine as a success? And he did get a plaque for Dang. Like, did he view that? Did he know how good that was and that people really were impressed by sort of the elevation? Um, there's a moment where he played, I forget what the festival was, but you know, he came out and he did a bunch of the songs and the kids were just feeling it, they knew all the words. And I hit him up and I was like, listening, like, they like it, and he was happy about that. So, because he wasn't sure whether the kids who grew up on him as a rapper were going to really take to the, the R and B stuff. I felt like they did, um, and I feel like he definitely felt validated in the decision to, you know, do all the singing and do all the soul stuff. At the end of the day, yeah, he wasn't necessarily deeply concerned with numbers. Like he wanted to do well, but it wasn't like if it, you know, if the record didn't go number one, he didn't like freak out. Like it was, you know, I'm still able to do it. I'm able to have another go round and I'm happy to be here. And then I think it's the perfect transition um, to swimming, where he really seemed to have gotten his arms around who he was as an artist. Um, you know, when you think about the things that make Mac Miller special, he's one of the very few guys who absolutely could, could do everything, could produce, write, rap, sing, record, engineer, he could do absolutely everything. You know, it's a very short list of the people who do all of those things. Um, you know, and, and they're really great names that come to mind when you think about Kanye West at his prime. Um, you know, when it comes to the rapping and the singing, I always think about Fonte. Um, I think about Odyssey when it comes to the producing, rhyming, doing everything. These really elite musician names and with swimming it feels like he was starting to really get and I remember hearing swimming at the beginning and I feel bad because I never I never I had not talked to him yet about it I mean it's still new like to me it's still new like I've, I've been playing it since it came out I thought it was amazing I tweeted about it multiple times don't know if he saw the tweets I was just like yo this shit's him? so good <laughs> I don't even know if I I think I did add him I think I did add him but like I didn't know I never had a conversation we talked around the listening and we talked about personal stuff and not that much about the music and to me when I hear swimming I hear a guy who's ceiling was winning one day winning album of the year at the Grammys. 
That's, that's the artist I hear. I'm not just saying that because he's gone. I'm hearing a guy who had mastered, you know, Drake does singing and rapping incredibly well, but he does it on one level, this like very pop, really good um, mainstream level. Mac was tapping into that like deeper level that doesn't sell a million copies, but wins album of the year at the Grammys. And everyone knows this dude, Mac Miller. And by the way, I could be talking about him at 36, at 46, at 56. And the tragedy is, of course, we'll, we're not gonna ever know that. But that is, that is to me the trajectory that he was on as, as an artist. Smokey, have you gotten to spend time with the new album yet? Kinda, sorta. I bought it when it first came out. I mean, I think I saw the Tiny Desk joint that he did before I even bought the album. Yeah. And that's what made me buy the album. Cause I, you know, I'd be tapped out and even really know until I saw that. And I saw Thundercat and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> this motherfucker's really tapped in. Cause like, you know, once he started producing, I felt like, okay, this is the next level where he trying to go, like he's really learning how to compose music for real. And he took that shit for real. But um, I'm not gonna lie and sit here like, I really got to live with it like that because I didn't. You haven't yet. You're right, right. Well, listen, but, like I said, it's still so new. far. It's, I mean, we're living in a world as an yeah. adult with kids. The the getting time, like some people, you get to, some albums I get to right away, and some albums I get to six months later. That's kind of adulthood mm -hmm. when it comes to music. Even as a DJ, I may play the single, but I'm not spending time with the album yet mm -hmm. until I I get time with it. Mm -hmm. um, what do you guys think the ceiling was for for Mac Miller? Well, first of all, I just want to say how dope it was that. So he was independent, he goes number one, he does his business with Rostrum, and then when he's a free agent, he ultimately signs with Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, which doesn't have a rap department anymore, <laughs> they give all their artists to Atlantic, Atlantic. and they give him and whatever they have, money. They have OVO. And, and OVO, right? Which is very R&B though. Like, it's not like, you know, just rappy rap. It's not run like a rap department necessarily, no. And they give him $10 million or whatever they gave him. But shout out to, to him and shout out to Warner Brothers who, and whoever was in that process which allowed Good AM, The Divine Feminine, and Swimming to come out. If those are three projects that are really, and they're better and better each time, yep. I think. They are. Um, but they're, they're, they're truly like artists' art right there. He didn't have to like do a huge single to like go get a bunch of radio plays. Um, if you, if anybody saw him recently on his Instagram live, he would just be like, I'm only doing this because my label is saying that I need to do more stuff. <laughs> and, and that was like the extent of it, right? Um, and for the record, if you ever do an Instagram live, anyone out there, the Rosenthal's will see you. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the most active they're Instagram so livers active. in the business Yo, today. Oh, it made God. me so happy. We jumped in his Instagram live and, uh, <laughs> and he was like, he was like, yo, everyone should go buy my tickets or whatever. So I hit him and I'm just like, yo, we haven't gotten our tickets yet. And he's like, go get your tickets, Eric and Jeff. And we just like died laughing. It was so great. Also, but, I hit him with the come to Brazil. Yeah, well, that's your yeah, go-to and yeah. anytime you're in a yeah. live, yeah. come to Brazil, of course. Because yeah, that's what Instagram Live is. <laughs> but we, so we, we, um, we, we went on vacation down to the Southwest for 10 days and there's not any cell service in Utah or Arizona, right? And <laughs> so you download albums and I, I, I bought uh, Mac's album already and uh, there's no cell service, so you just play what you got. And we played that album, and it, it, it's, it's as beautiful today as it was yesterday, as it was last week, as it was the day it came out, and I think it's only gonna get more beautiful and find more from it because that album was, was so him, and it's so him now. It's not to take away from anything that he's done before. It, 
he tapped into something that he had inside of him that's just beautiful, and he was beautiful, and he is beautiful, and I, I love swimming. I think it's it's, it's rare that you describe like other men describe other men as sweet, but it's like it's hard to describe Mac Miller and not talk about how sweet he was as a human being. And I've seen that word like everywhere. Well, that, for him. That, because and think about really get into what the word is because sweet means so many things. Sometimes in hip hop, you can mean it as an insult if you wanted to, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, you think she's sweet? Mm -hmm. Oh, he's sweet. It can mean a lot of things. Not being tough, whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you really think about what sweet means as a word and how sweet is a flavor that resonates with you, makes you feel good. Everyone loves sweet. Sweet is ha happy. It's the opposite of sour. That is Mac Miller. I mean, I, I do not, and that's one of the hardest things about his passing because I can't remember, I can talk to everyone about what might have happened or who knows, but I don't want to speculate on it. But man, I never sensed a negative energy from Mac. Not once. Not even when like I would ask him about like shady stuff like that was going on in the biz. Like, what do you think about that? And he's like, well, that person needs to, you know, get it together a little bit. Like, you know, I, I can't think of a bad word that he ever said about anybody. And I'm like, no bullshit. Like, Yo, isn't that crazy though? We all do that. I'm the I, I love talking like, shit about people. Like, I must be again. That's what I do. Yeah, no, I literally sometimes I invite the Rosenthal's over just so we can talk shit about everyone in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. We're so good at that. I still think I'm a good person, but this man. I mean, this man was not. He didn't have that in him and like that's what makes this whole thing so puzzling because I also you know how um, when people like a lot of people I'm sure you guys have had this definitely you have and everyone here like people reach out and send condolences because they right. know that we have all have a relationship with Mac and I'm sort of like thank you I appreciate it I am heartbroken over it but know that like the whole industry is like well I am not some person who is affected by Mac Miller uniquely it was, I've never seen anything like this. Um, I don't know, I wasn't in the industry when Biggie and Tupac were around, but um, the, the game was different then. The way that artists interacted with media was different. The way that they were able to, um, you know, interact with fans was different. Everything was different back it was then. smaller too. And it was, so for now, for all the passings I've seen, which have been so tragic, and I cannot believe we're talking about this about Mac Miller, I was overwhelmed by how deep it was. From, from Pharrell and DJ Jazzy Jeff and veterans who were n nearing 50 years old, to the kids with tattoos on their face, to Lil Xan, who's heartbroken over this, to he reached everyone. What was your guys' reaction just, just to the reaction? You know, you know what, so I, I spent a lot of time crying this weekend. Um, in all fairness, you spend a lot of time crying every weekend. That's right, but this He's weekend, sweet. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but, but, and, and, and every time that I got hit up by somebody checking in on me, I, I cried as well. But, but what made me cry in a different way was seeing J. Cole's reaction. I was like, this guy who's on top of the world, and, and he's as human as they come too, but there was a, a level of selflessness in his tweets, because the man never tweets. He put out a tweet about Mac, and then he put out a tweet that said that if anyone in this game is going through anything, you, you feel like you can't tell anyone, you can't share, or you feel like no one understands, reach out to me, and I, like, you, you have my ear. And I, like, that just, like, I, I couldn't even understand it. Like, he. How deep that is, and how much, how much Mac was able to affect someone and then how beautifully effective that is. Yeah. But haven't you also found like within like this rap community 
that like people offer you condolences for Mac and then you end up offering them as well. Like we're, you're like, I mean, we're all going through, like it, it's, it's every single person like this. I don't know that the community, the, the, the culture, whatever you want to call it, like has been as tight knit as it is right now. And, and there's no better example of someone who brings that together than Mac, which is part of his legacy, which I think is amazing. And you're, you're right, people offer me condolences and I offer them condolences and I'm reaching out to people. You know, there's certain people I couldn't even reach out. Like I, I didn't even, for this show, we received beautiful tribute videos from the artists we've been having throughout. And I'm very thankful for those. But those are the people that I just felt comfortable reaching out to. And that's not to downplay their relationships with him, but you know, to people like Schoolboy Q yep. and to people like Alchemist, I, I just didn't even feel comfortable asking them to be a part of the show. Rembert Brown, like, there are people I couldn't ask to be a part of the show because I just didn't feel right asking. And even though all of us have felt this unlike any passing I've, I've really ever seen, and I mean, there was an unfathomable amounts of love and, and outpouring when Fife passed away, when Prodigy passed away, and when XXX passed away. I mean, this, this culture is amazing. But there is no one I can think of that brings more people together yeah. than Mac Miller. And we saw public, pe you know, from, from Chance to Childish to J. Cole to Pharrell um, to g Easy. I know, and shout out to g Easy and Ty Dolla Sign who are out on tour right now. And I know it's very hard. Um, so is Gambino. So is Cole out there trying to do shows when you're thinking about this person who one thing that we have to focus on is Mac is one of the reasons the LA underground hip hop scene is what it is. He was sort of the hub, and I've been saying this for years, this is old, boring conversation at this point, honestly, had he not passed away. Right. When it comes to Schoolboy Q, Absol, Earl Sweatshirt, Vince Thanks Staples, Staples, the yep. internet, all these people, Bronson, Alchemist, Smoke Dizza, whoever it is, he became like, his role changed. He became like this hub, right? He had like, uh Alchemist has um what do we call it uh rap camp mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and and Mac had his own rap camp as well especially you know when he started producing this it was like everybody was coming over for the vibe we'll just come over and just listen to beats and then whatever happens happens it was almost a spinoff of Alchemist rap camp it was literally because Al had his yeah. at his place it was the alternative and then yeah he yeah. had them but they all bled sort of together mm -hmm. and as Kendrick spoke about. Being in the studio together, everyone, Anderson Pop, you name it, people were just in the studio with him. I mean, it makes sense that in the last couple of years, he was managed by the Clancy's, mm -hmm. who were odd future, because all these people came together in this like, I know it sounds cheesy, but like, man, it, Mac makes me really proud of hip hop culture. By the way, uh, both Alchemist and Mac, when he lived in Studio City, those are two faraway places to get to. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of commitment for an artist to actually like, make it to you know, those studios. Um, what do you think the uh, legacy is for, for Mac Miller musically, Craig? I hope it's that we can bridge our differences. I hope it's that we can you know, take influence from outside of rap and spin it into you know, crazy, more experimental, also more catchy stuff. like. I don't know. It's it's hard to think about that, you know, as in terms of like there being like an end date to it, like and there being like an after mech. Like so it's hard to like even process that. But yeah, I mean just unity, I hope. Rosenthal's, what do you think the uh, Mac Miller legacy is? I think that what's crazy about Mac is because his catalog is so deep, because there's so much that still has to be released. So much. 
then I think it's going to constantly evolve. Like, it's not like you can just say, like, a, an easy analog would be, like, a Kurt Cobain or something. Like, somebody taking way before their time, and it's, like, you know, at the, the peak of where they were, right? But it's, like, no, like, this, this is going to ride out for a very, very long time. That's so interesting that you say that. Like, Everything I say is interesting. <laughs> By the way, every time we have sort of, like, a laugh on this show, which is apparently an awkward thing, like... It's just so comforting to know that Mac would be laughing every second. Oh, There's not sure. a thing we could yeah. say on this show that I think yeah. Mac would laugh at, yeah. but it's, it's everything, as you say, is interesting. <laughs> but, like, you actually have to think about things more in terms of the way you would think of a Tupac in terms yep. of um, the body of work. Um, and Which is funny, because he's not at all like Tupac, but it is, like, the same, like, sort of construction of his... Well, Pac, Wayne... The yep. guys who have an endless body of work, because Mac never stopped working. Mm -hmm. yeah. And by being a guy who recorded, who engineered, who rapped, who did everything, who would just jump in and out of the studio on a moment's notice, um, as Macklemore uh, so eloquently put, I mean, he could just be in a conversation with you and be like, ah, oh, and go in and work. Mm -hmm. As a result, that body of work is endless. And it's hard, and it'll be an interesting position for, the, for Mac's family and, uh, um, and for his mom and for the Clancy's and for the label to think about how they want to go about that. Um, because a lot of this music, obviously, he had not shared. You have to think about, is this stuff that he wanted to share? Um, and how much of it should you share? Because it's a huge, huge body of work. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that, that Mac being who he was, I do think that that is something that he probably would, would have discussed with people. Yeah. Oh, I think so too. I used to talk crazy. to him about it. I, I've like, you know, I would see him and he would play me some like chunk of an album that hadn't come out yet, and I'd be like, "So, when are you mm -hmm. gonna release the series of these? Because there's ten of them stashed away. Like, what are you doing?" And he's like, "You know, someday." That's interesting, and actually, and that just reminded me of you saying that makes me think of Dilla. That makes me think think of Dilla because Dilla now has had like these series of instrumental albums, and there's, you know. His, his family and uh, estate has decided how they want to release his music. And Jay Dilla is such, as Mac Miller is such, which is just insane to be saying those things. I can't believe right. that right. Mac is now in a place with Jay Dilla. Although I will say, that is one upside to wherever Mac is. As I know, you know he's looking for Jay Dilla and Big L right now. <laughs> um, but is, is having this sort of body of work that can last forever. We could be listening to Mac Miller albums for a very, very long time. Um, all right, in closing, Final memories, stories that you just want to share that pop into you? Because I know we all play this game of, I don't know if you guys do, but you start thinking of all the times you hung out, and you're like, well, how many? Oh, I didn't even remember that. Then you stumble on a picture, and in my case, hip-hop, Mike hits me. He's like, yo, remember when we saw him at blah, blah, blah? And I go, oh, my God, I forgot about that. Any things in particular that you'll just, that you, you kind of keep going back to about Mac? It was his birthday one night. We were in the club chilling. And across the club, it's someone else's birthday. And he's got big balloons, and it says Kevin over the party. <laughs> and they're just sending over sparkling vodka bottles. And just the whole night, and he looks over and he goes, yo, should I flex on this dude? <laughs> <laughs> he goes, should I flex on this dude? And I was like, no, you got it. He's going to have that one night, and you're going to have your life. <laughs> should I flex on this? <laughs> so he ultimately didn't flex. He didn't flex. I got to tell you, Craig, I'm mad. You should have said yes, flex. <laughs> I wanted to see what the flex would be. <laughs> Kevin needed that night. <laughs> he had it. Shouts to Kevin. Yeah. Kevin. Yeah. 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 Uh, Eric? Um, we were in LA. Uh, we had a meeting at this club called No Name, which is on Fairfax. Um, and we sat down in this booth with these two girls. And by the way, like it's like a secret 
LA club. Speakeasy kind of vibe. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah okay. definitely. And we're in this booth, and one of the girls who I'm sitting next to waves at the door, and I turn around, and Owen Wilson, the actor, walks in and sits down in our booth, and all of a sudden there's five of us. Is, this story involves me, too. Oh, it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love this yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's one of my well, so, so Owen Wilson sits down and he was just like, what do you guys do? And we're like, we're hip hop sketch comedians. He's like, that's fascinating. Fascinating. Wow. <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, I was just at home and I was reading this New Yorker article about this guy named Peter Rosenberg. Do you know him? And we're like, yeah, we know him. I mean, like, went to his wedding. He lives across <laughs> the street. <laughs> yes, we know, know him. We know Peter. How is this the first thing you're bringing up? And he's like, oh, like, he's, he's good to his parents. Yeah, nice yeah. guy. We're just like, all right, this is great. And then he's like, uh, I know another guy in hip hop, a uh, tattooed guy, uh, Mac something. We're like, Mac Miller? Yeah. He's like, do you know him? We're like, yeah, we know him. We're great friends with him, been on his TV show, this whole thing. And he was just like, wow. Um, I, I remember the story. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he was just like, I was just with him at my neighbor Rick Rubin's house, and we were going from ice bath to hot tub to ice bath together, and we're like, what? <laughs> like, listen to yourself. Like, what are you saying? This is crazy. And then um, it was around the time of like the ice bucket challenge, and so like months later, when the ice bucket challenge happens, Rick Rubin does it. And, like, and he goes into this tub. He was like, I'm not just gonna like pour a bucket of ice over. I'm gonna like submerge myself. And then you know you say. I'm going to challenge three people. And it was like Eminem and Rihanna and Owen Wilson. And we're like, oh my God. Yeah, so Owen it was real. Yeah. It was a real <laughs> But the, the funny part about that too is, and we were able to like talk about Mac a whole bunch of times about this because he was like, oh yeah, like I loved hanging out with him. He's a really nice guy. And, and Mac all saying this about Owen Wilson. About Owen yeah. Wilson, yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, we did try calling Peter that night a whole bunch of times, and you you avoided our our phone call. Well, again, I hit end. You yeah, go yeah, straight yeah, to voicemail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to say uh, one time Mac wanted a T-shirt from us. We were selling shirts that said uh, "We the best." Uh, the French we O U I. Yes, yeah, the best. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, Mac wanted one, and we sent it to his house. He gave us his address. In Studio City. And then it got sent back, and we were like, what's up with this? And he goes, oh, I don't have a mailbox. Yeah. So like, people just throw over packages. <laughs> so how did he expect you to get, you had to know that? Exactly. Then you had to yeah, give it to yeah. someone who could throw it over? Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Smokey? I mean, you know, I've been treading on the nice, because we got a whole bunch of funny shit, but I just, you know. <laughs> it's involving marijuana. <laughs> but um, I say the, the most PG time was probably, I think Q had hit me for, um, hit me for some of my favorite stuff. Weed. Yeah. Yeah, we're okay. It's complex, and, dude. We're not on CNN. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Hit me for some weed, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, I made them wait for like two hours. <laughs> Legit, two hours. And I thought they was going to be pissed by the time I got there. And they was just so happy to see me with the weed that I just ended up giving them the weed and leaving. And then, like, like it was always instances like that, like a dealer, right? Like you were just a dealer like at that a moment. Dealer at the moment but, yeah. Do you give them sticks and then just like upsell them? By like That's what I would have did to you. Um, Can I just mention just yeah, please one second? Is that we talked about him musically and and his legacy? He was a son, and he was a brother and he was uh, a best friend, and I'm sure there's lots of cousins and, and, and family members along the family tree. That definitely shouldn't be forgotten because uh, a lot of people, not just all of his friends in the business, are hurting right now and hurting bad because Mac was um, just as, as beautiful a person outside and as a real human being than he was in this business. Yeah, I think that's really well said and it's important. I mean, um, I think about his family quite a bit. Um, my brother 
through six degrees of Jewish Pittsburgh separation, which is probably more like three degrees, um, ended up hearing about Mac Miller very early um, from our friend Stacy, and she said, oh, there's this, my, I know someone, her son's a rapper, blah, blah. So for, to make a long story short, my brother wanted to be his lawyer, ended up not working out for whatever business reasons happened. But as a result, we ended up sort of having this relationship with his mother also. Um, and so like when I went to that show that I was talking about where the 16 year olds were bumping into me, you know, his mother was backstage also. And there's just this like extra level of connection when you see someone around their mom and Mac was as expressive about his love for his family and his mom in particular as maybe any artist I've ever heard, you know? And it was just, it was just so absolutely genuine. And I just can't stop thinking about her. I mean, she, if you ever, if you look, see her, look at her Instagram, the, the things she posted and how proud she was and how sort of concerned she always was and how much she just, like every Jewish mother ever, just spent time worrying about her son who wanted this life, but also was so encouraging because that's all Mac ever wanted was to be this person. Um, that's just something that, you know, take some time to think about when you're, when you're thinking about Mac and you're sending well wishes to everyone as we go through this time. Um, unfortunately, I've, I've watched mothers go through losing their children before and it's, it's, it's unlike anything else. Um, and I just want to send strength out to Mac's family and I hope that they know how much, like this level of love that exists for this guy is, is special. Mac was a special person. Um, for me, I keep, every time I saw him, I would, we all probably have relationships where, you know, someone asks and they go, you know, how close were you? Well, I can't say Mac Miller was my best friend. That would certainly be disingenuous. Can't say he's one of my closest friends. I can just tell you that he was my guy, you know? Like, Mac was my guy. And I feel like we all had a relationship where, to whatever varying degrees they were, of like, whatever it was, you knew where you stood with Mac. Always. You knew when you saw him, like, that's my boy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that was really my boy. And like, whenever I saw him, whether it was backstage at Lollapalooza or Rolling Loud, for a minute, I would be like, yo, what's good? How are you doing with things? What's up? Like, and he knew what I meant. He knew what I meant, I was asking about, drugs and alcohol and how, where he was. And I was just like, how are you? And we'd have a quick second eye to eye where we just have a moment and just be like, what, you good? He'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And, or he'd say like, you know, he'd be honest with me. Well, you know, I'm drinking now, but I'm, I'm good. I got, I got this, blah, blah, blah. And I just always wanted to make sure he's okay. And he always made you feel he was okay. And that he was happy. And that surmises how selfless this kid was and how amazing a human being he was. And I thought it was important we spend a show talking about that because this is someone that hip hop lost and that our world lost that will be missed in a really, really deep way. Um, thank you guys all for spending time. We'll catch you guys next time on Open Late.